The difference between Pesach and Pesach Sheni is not just a matter of first time around and the catch-up afterwards. They actually represent two different streams of how we serve Hashem, each of which has more than one component to it. And we see that straight away from the fact that tells us that there are three possibilities of explaining how Pesach Sheni works. Aleph, you have the opinion of Rebbe who says, Regel bifnei atzmoi, that Pesach Sheni is its own independent yomtiv. Beis, you have the opinion of Rabbi Nelson who says, Tashlumin derishin hu, that it is a, it's Tashlumin, it's the way to complete whatever may have been left unfinished at the first Pesach, but but it's not considered a correction of something that may have gone wrong in the first Pesach. Whereas the third opinion, Rabbi Hananya ben Akavia says, Takanta derishin hu, that Pesach Sheni is actually a way to fix whatever may have been missed at Pesach Rishon. Now we need to understand what the difference is between these three views. What is the practical difference between them? As the Rambam's son explains in great detail, it works as, as follows. And this is really important information to get clear at the beginning of the Sikha, because it will help us to understand the flow of the whole of the Sikha. Let's say we go with the opinion of Rebbe, who says that Pesach Sheni is its own independent yantav. Then effectively what he's telling us is that that the, the, the obligation that a person may have around Pesach Sheni is completely unrelated to the obligation that they'll have around the original Pesach. But it's its own standalone yomtiv, akin to any other yomtiv on the calendar. Now, what's the practical application of that? Let's say that somebody converts to Judaism after Pesach Rishon, before Pesach Sheni. Or a child who reaches Bar Mitzvah in between Pesach and Pesach Sheni. Chayev Lasos Pesach Sheni. Because it's a new independent yantiv, that convert or that child, now adult, have to bring the Korban Pesach. Whereas, whereas if you went with the other two opinions, that it's either the completion of or the correction of any miss, missed out elements of the first Pesach, then that would be saying that Chayev Pesach Sheni tolid Bechayev Pesach Rishon. It would be saying that the nature of the Yom Tov of Pesach Sheni is completely contingent on Pesach Rishon. And practically that would mean that if when the first Pesach came around, the person was not yet Jewish, or not yet over the age of Bar Mitzvah, they had no obligation to bring the Korban Pesach. Therefore, by extension, there would be no obligation for them to bring Pesach Sheni, because according to the Tashlumen or the Takanta perspective, Pesach Sheni is only built on and born out of the reality of the original Pesach. Okay, so Regal Bifnei means practically that if a person only comes into Jewish uh, obligation after Pesach, they would still have to bring Pesach Sheni. Okay, let's have a look at what the other two mean. Tashlumin Derishonu, if we go with Rabbi Nossin's opinion, the Pesach Sheni completes whatever began on Pesach Rishon. So Pirush means as follows. Let's say that a person deliberately chose not to bring the Korban Pesach when it was Pesach. Now obviously not bringing a Korban Pesach means that a person transgresses a mitzvah in the Torah for which the punishment is Koris, so-called spiritual excision. Still, According to Rabbi Nassim, the Torah built into the Pesach system an opportunity to fix that, to complete the process later on a month later. So, by not bringing the Korban Pesach first time around, the person technically deserves Kores, but there's an opportunity to fix it later or to complete the process later by bringing the Pesach Sheni, in which case that Chi of Kores would be removed from the person. But let's say that a person did not get to bring the Pesach Sheni, even if it was unintentionally, well then, logically, he didn't get to fill in the gap left by the original Pesach. Therefore, the responsibility, the obligation, the penalty of Kores that applied from the original Pesach has not been removed, and this person would be high of Kores. If you go with the opinion of Rabbi Hanania ben Akavia, Takanta Derishon Hu, where the Pesach Sheni is there to fix Pesach Rishon, that would mean me, Shaloi Yikri Pesach Rishon Bemezid, if a person chose not to bring a Korban Pesach when it was Pesach. Kova Loi Torah Milechat Chileta Kona Lahakri Pesach Sheni Bismanacher. Well, built into the system right from the get go was an opportunity to repeat the same 
opportunity a month later, and then bring the carbon Pesach. Because it's built into the original Pesach that it extends all the way to a second opportunity of Pesach Sheni, the person would never have the penalty of Kores unless they missed Pesach Sheni. So that would mean that if Pesach Sheni comes along and the person intended to bring the carbon Pesach Sheni, but didn't get around to it because of circumstances outside of his control, the person would not be penalized with Kores, unlike the Tashlumin argument. Because at the time where the penalty might have been applied, which is within that stretch from Pesach Rishon all the way to Pesach Sheni, the person was not deliberate in their avoidance of the Pesach uh, sacrifice, so therefore they don't get Kores. Okay, so three possibilities. Regal Bifnautzmai, which really speaks to the heart of what happens if a person was not old enough or wasn't Jewish and couldn't bring the Pesach Rishon. Tashlumin, which is that if you don't get it right the first time, there is a penalty and you can clear that penalty if you bring a Pesach Sheni, but if you don't bring the Pesach Sheni, the, pe- the penalty is in place. Versus Takanta, which means that the structure of the mitzvah of Pesach Rishon started with an opportunity to fix it down the line of Pesach Sheni. If a person misses both opportunities, even if the, the first one was intentional, the second one was unintentional, there's no penalty at all. Now let's have a look at how the Rambam defines it. Because the Rambam's going to, the way the Rambam approaches it is going to raise a big question for us. So if our mitzvahs are Rambam, Nimes mitzvahs Pesach Sheni beminyanam mitzvahs ki mitzvah bifnei atzmon. On the list of 613 mitzvahs in the Sefer HaMitzvahs, the Rambam lists the mitzvah of Pesach Sheni as its own independent mitzvah. Rambam, he explains why. Because he says it follows the view of Rebbe out of the three opinions quoted in the Gemara Pesachim, which is that Pesach Sheni is its own Yom so therefore it's got its own mitzvah on the list of mitzvahs. Now that doesn't seem to make sense. I will move on. Because Gamla Das Rebbe, Shepesach Sheni Regal Bifnatsmoy. Even according to Rebbe, who says Pesach Sheni has its own independent nature of being a Yomtev, think about it. The only practical application where a person will ever have the obligation of Pesach Sheni can only be if they missed the original Pesach. Because if a person brought the Korban at the right time when it was Pesach, that person would not be allowed to bring Pesach Sheni. So now logically, even it turns out, even according to Rebbe, who calls it an independent yontif, it's not completely independent. Because the only situation where Pesach Sheni will happen is only ever as a replacement for Pesach Rishon. So Pesach Sheni is effectively fulfilling the same mitzvah that Pesach Rishon was going to fulfill, i.e. Lahakriv Korban Pesach, to bring the Pesach sacrifice. And it's only if you didn't bring the sacrifice, then you bring the sacrifice now. Why then would the Rambam count Pesach Sheni as a, an, its own standalone independent mitzvah? It's not. It's part of the mitzvah to bring a Korban Pesach. And there's two options now you do that. So we have no option but to say that despite the fact that there's a very close connection between the first and the second Pesach, the logical connection is that the only time Pesach Sheni applies is only when Pesach Rishon was missed. In spite of that, they're actually fundamentally two different concepts. There might be one mitzvah, one linked mitzvah, but they represent two completely different concepts. And that's going to take us into this conversation about how Pesach and Pesach Sheni represent two channels of how we serve Hashem. That's why the Rambam would allocate them each their own independent mitzvah status. So let's understand what, in fact, is the difference between Pesach and Pesach Sheni. So let's look at the context and we'll understand what were the people like at the time of Pesach? What were they like at the time of, of, of Pesach Sheni? What are the halachas of Pesach Rishon? What are the halachas of Pesach Sheni? will help us to understand. Let's first start with the halacha. Hachilukim shemotzinu ben Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. The big difference between Pesach Rishon and Sheni is Aleph HaRishon also bebal yiro bebal yimotze. On the first Pesach, you're not allowed to see or find chomets anywhere in your possession or property. Whereas, v'asheni chomets matzei mei babayis. 
Pesach Sheni, a person eats chometz and matzah together simultaneously in the house they, they're together. So the restriction of chometz does not exist at Pesach Sheni. Number two, Beis. Harish Anoi Kol Shiva. Pesach Rishon is a seven-day Yom Tov. Which doesn't only mean that you may not have chometz for seven days. But to paraphrase the Gemara, it means it implies that the Korban Pesach, which is eaten on the first day of Pesach, actually extends into somehow the, the, the rest of the celebration. And it's so-called eaten over the course of the whole Pesach. Because the matzah that you continue to eat during the rest of Pesach ties back to the Korban Pesach at the beginning. Whereas Pesach Sheni is a single day. So there are your two differences. Pesach Rishon, no Chometz. Pesach Sheni, no problem with Chometz. Pesach Rishon, seven days. And it's a continuous celebration begun from the Korban Pesach. Pesach Sheni, one day. Now, why are there those halachic differences? Because we look at the Pesach Rishon and Sheni, the reason there are these halachic differences is the evolution or as a result of the fact that there are conceptual differences between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. And we'll see that played out in the nature of the people who were the players in each of the two Pesachs. The explanation is this. The very obvious differences between the two, the two Pesachs are as follows. The responsibility to the obligation to bring a carbon Pesach first time around, the original Pesach, is to bring it Pesach Rishon is how the Torah originally mandated the correct way to bring a carbon Pesach. That's Pesach Rishon. And to bring it therefore in the correct time. Pesach Sheni is if a person did not fit the appropriate order in which the Pesach was supposed to be done. Shaloib is my And therefore it's brought not at the correct time. So in other words, that means, there were a group of people who did not get to bring carbon Pesach at the right time. And yet, in spite of their mess up, whether it was by choice or whether it was unintentional, whether it was circumstances beyond their control, we don't say to them, we don't say as we'd normally say with the carbon, sorry, you missed the deadline, the carbon is no longer relevant or, or, or playable. What's interesting is that the Torah created an opportunity at a later time to be able to fill in that gap and bring that carbon. Like the Friedrich Rebbe would always say, in Yonisha Pesach Sheni, who, what is the message and theme of Pesach Sheni? Nothing is lost. There's nothing that cannot be repaired. There's always a way to fix things. Even if a person was in a state of spiritual impurity, or the person was too far from the base Amikdash. And even as the Torah says it was their choice, still there's always an opportunity to fix. That's the message of Pesach Sheni. So the difference between doing Pesach Rishon in the right time, under the right circumstances, versus Pesach Sheni, which is like an emergency um, catch-up, is very much aligned with the difference between how a tzaddik serves Hashem versus how a bal tshuva serves Hashem. Because a tzaddik serves Hashem in the expected, appropriate, healthy way. The way that Hashem designed people, which is to be yosher, to have a, a straight, meaningful, rational, progressive spirituality. Apiah said that the Torah is as delineated within the order that Torah defines for certain things. Whereas the Baal has broken that system. So therefore, So the Baal is given an opportunity by Hashem to correct what's already happened in the past and fill in the gaps of whatever was missing. And that's exactly the status of the Jewish people at the time of the original Pesach versus the Jewish people at the time of the original Pesach Sheni. They're the story of a tzaddik group versus a Baal Shiva group. Because Vesakrovas Pesach Rishon, when you look at who the Jews were when they brought the original Korban Pesach, they were at the level of tzaddikim. Now you might be surprised. What do you mean they were at the 49th level of impurity? Because Matzovam Oz Because they were given the status of newborns. 
like the Prophet Yechezkel says, this was the birth of the Jewish nation. Averis, a newborn, is completely clean of any Averis, and so were the Jews at that time. Not only were they clean of Averis, but they had two major mitzvahs that they had done, both which came at tremendous uh, sacrifice to have a bris milah, and to make the Korban Pesach, both are the types of blood by which Hashem says you will live, not only physically, but spiritually. The truth is this even has an halachic implication because because they were considered like converts, or at least the beginning of conversion, because the bris milah is the first step of conversion, and the mikveh, which follows, consolidates the conversion. And the halachic is that when a person goes through a, a proper geirus, they're considered like a newborn, absolutely wipe the slate clean, and beyond the kolaveris, they have no historical averis. We say to this ger, like Nomi said to, like Boya said to Rus, Hashem should fulfill your efforts. You should have full reward for what you've done. Because you have come to be sheltered by Hashem's wings. So Pesach is showing the Jewish people a clean slate, like newborns, like tzaddikim. But look at Pesach Sheni. It's a totally different story. That was to address an issue of people who were impure. And not only impure, but out of all the types of impurity, they had the worst kind of impurity, the contamination of a dead body. As the Pasuk says. Now how does a person get to be exposed to such Tumah? The reason that humans die is a result of the Chetetzadas, which is the root cause of every other Avera ever in history. So these people are exposed to something which is spiritually toxic. And they come with a heartfelt, soul-felt plea to, to Moshe Rabbeinu. Firstly, they came forward and acknowledged where they were holding. We're impure people. They acknowledged it. And then they said, Why should we be rejected from being able to bring Hashem's korban together with all of the Jewish people at the correct time? This is exactly the formula of tshuva. Or bifrater, look at the details. First of all, vidui. They acknowledged the circumstances, the problem. Then, then they asked for a path to be able to fix what was wrong. And not just any path, but tikkun b'shlemus. They wanted to have the ultimate experience of repairing what was wrong. Not only give us an opportunity to bring a korban, but they wanted it to be considered as if it was brought in the correct time. And as part of the Jewish community. So they wanted the ultimate correction for what had gone wrong. And that will help us to understand on a deeper level why it is that Hashem never instructed Pesach Sheni at the outset. Which is pretty much how every other mitzvah happens. The Ebishter preempts and says, in such a circumstance, these are the mitzvahs. Not a word about Pesach Sheni until we come knocking on the door. Why? The law of Pesach Sheni was only introduced after the Jews were crying and saying, please. Why? Because because we're illustrating the attitude, the process of Teshuvah. And Teshuvah is the initiative of the Baal Teshuvah. Even though the person is in a very spiritually unhealthy place. The person is anywhere but in the space of holiness and purity. The person not only not pure, they definitely are not holy. So a person is in such a bad spiritual place is not susceptible, is not open to be able to receive the inspiration that should come from on high. So they're not going to be inspired from outside of themselves to do tshuva. The Baal Tshuva says, I, I can't live like this. I have to do something. And so by moving and initiating on their own accord from the bottom up, they reach out to Hashem in tshuva. So Pesach Rishon represents the Tzaddik. Pesach Sheni represents the Balchuba. That's going to explain to us why Pesach Rishon can't have Chometz, and Pesach Sheni can, and why Pesach Rishon is seven days, and Pesach Sheni is one day. And that will also help us understand why the Rambam puts them as two separate mitzvahs. 
The first thing we're going to do is address an issue which is actually quite surprising when you think about it, just from a purely halachic perspective about the problem that these people had and why they needed a Pesach Shem. Because our sages teach us those people who were impure because they had been exposed to a dead body, the seventh day of their purification process would have landed up being Erev Pesach, in which case, so why did Hashem now have to introduce a whole new system for them? A month later that they could bring the Pesach Sheni. And a call Shiva. Why didn't they just have the opportunity during the course of the week of Pesach? Like any other Korban which gets the seven days of Yom Tov during which you could bring it. Like that Arachim points out. So why, why give them a Pesach Sheni? Say, you know what? You can't bring it on the same day as everybody else. Bring it the next day or the next day. But but based on the deep explanation that we've already looked at, this actually starts to make sense because Tshuva doesn't, tshuva doesn't only fill in the gaps where there's a crack and you kind of plaster it up. Tshuva is an independent means of serving Hashem. It's not only in case of emergency break glass. There's going to be a big part of what we have to discuss. It's a red gil It has its own value as a yomtiv. It belongs in its own month, which implies a whole different way of serving Hashem. And that's the theme we have to unpack over here. There's a way to serve Hashem called the Tzaddik method, and there's a way to serve Hashem called the Tshuva method. So, as we mentioned before, the Tzaddik's approach is very smooth, direct, progressive, logical. Yet at the same time, there's something about the Baal Tshuva that is greater than, better than the Tzaddik. The entire scope of influence of the Tzaddik is either in things that are already holy or at the very least things that are permitted according to the Torah. But in the Tzaddik's world, you can never entertain the possibility of a mitzvah that is achieved via something which is against the Torah. Anything which belongs to the real dark side of unholiness is untouchable. Nothing you can do with it. You can't transform it. You can't elevate it. The only thing you can do is push it out altogether. And that's actually what the Torah says. The Torah says, get rid of those things. Don't go there. Don't eat treif. Don't go to that place. Don't say those words. But when a Baal Tshuva does real Tshuva, which is Tshuva motivated by deep, intense love for Hashem, then that kind of Tshuva not only prevents the negative, but it transforms the negative into something positive. The capacity to do this is because Tshuva reaches into a dimension that is completely beyond the structured reality of spiritual powers. Mitzad HaSeder to Torah, beyond the order that Torah dictates. Hishtal Shalos. If you're looking from the order of Torah, from the structured environment of spirituality, then it's completely illogical and impossible that there should ever be the possibility of transforming the negative into positive, the wanton Averis into something that actually classifies as a value and a merit. Like the famous Yalkut Shemoni that says, Shalu Chochma, they interviewed first wisdom, then Linavua prophecy, then Latorah. What should we do to punish a person who has sinned? And not one of those perspectives allowed the possibility of Tshuva, only of various types of punishment, death, etc. Only when the question was directed to Hashem Himself. Which is obviously is completely beyond the reality of the structured spiritual system. Then, then there was the possibility of do tshuva and that will sort it out. Because when you're at that level, it is completely beyond the entire structure of anything that makes spiritual sense. And in a reality where light and dark are equally irrelevant, there it is possible to even transform bad to become good. And that's where the Baal Tshuva lives. That's why these people came to complain to Moshe. They wanted to say, why should we be rejected? 
תלכו מפני מה יש מלכתחילה כוסל כדאייתך שני גורם. You have to wonder, where did they get this from? Why were they worried that they might be rejected? You can ask a similar question about the Fidu Kareba's statement about what is the great lesson of Pesach Sheni? That nothing is lost. Nothing that can't be fixed. Why would we think that things could be completely lost and, and not be able to fix? We've just explained why. Because even from Torah's perspective, which is a perspective of holiness, Teshuvah is great and beautiful and wonderful, but it's not transformative. It doesn't have the ability to take something toxic and make it healthy. So it is possible that something could be lost. But when the Yidden have this deep-seated, intense Shuvah that says, Loma Nigora, how could we possibly be left out? That lifts them to such a point that they direct the question directly to Hashem. Beyond the entire spiritual structure. And at that level, the answer comes back, you know what? There is a way to fix this. There's a brand new Yom Tov called Pesach Sheni. The reality is, though, how do we get access to this insight, even though it's completely beyond Torah? In order for it to reach us, it has to be revealed and explained through the Torah. Because even though Torah belongs to the spiritual structure that Hashem has created and formulated, but in essence, the Torah is one with Hashem. And therefore, anything that's going to be shared with us or revealed in our reality, even if if it's something which is completely beyond the spiritual structure, is going to come always via Torah. And that will give us an incredible insight into why there are these halachic differences between the original Pesach and Pesach Sheni. The Pesach Rishon, when you look at the first Pesach, which is Avodasat Tzadikim, how you serve Hashem in a smooth, progressive, orderly way, there you don't touch anything which is negative. You've got to push all the negative completely off the scene, out of the stage, off the stage, out of out of sight. Therefore, on Pesach Rishon, you can't have chometz. Chometz cannot be anywhere around. And that's also why it's a seven-day Yom Tov. Because we're talking about a Yom Tov that is a Tzadik's Yom Tov, where everything follows step by step in an orderly, logical, rational fashion. And the typical system of any spiritual progress that goes in a progressive fashion requires seven key steps, which reflect the seven Midas. But when you get to Pesach Sheni, which is about how you serve Hashem through Tshuva, which has the power to take those deliberate rebellions against Hashem and transform them to become merits, you can actually turn the Chomets into something positive. That's why you can have Chomets and Matzah in the same table on Pesach Sheni. It's not an issue. And because we're talking about tshuva, which is completely beyond systems and structures, you can get the whole thing done in a single day. The one day doesn't imply that there's less energy or less power than a seven-day yom. Rather, up to the contrary. You're actually referring to something which doesn't have to be split up into components and doesn't have the limitations of the progressive process. explains why Shavuos only one day. Because Shavuos is when you get the Torah, which is a dimension beyond the ten powers of, of the Seydeh which reflects the deepest part of the Neshama, which is beyond all the details and putting together a whole lot of components in order to get a result. You actually see the same thing reflected in the Gemara, where it tells us about the most famous Baal Tshuva, Rabbi Loz ben Dodai, one of the most. That Bocha Rebbe Vyama, when Rebbe heard about what happened with Rabbi Loz ben Dodai, he cried and he said, Some people have to invest years in order to get their portion in the next world. And then there's some people who get their portion in the next world, just like this, in a moment. 
What's he saying? He's saying, avoid If you serve Hashem in the mode, in the fashion of tzaddikim, where everything is orderly and constructed step by step and progressive. That avoid is going to take many years. Because each independent step is only one step in the process. But when you're talking about somebody like that, whose entire connection to Hashem was all built on Tshuva, and the most intense kind of Tshuva, of a Tshuva Gufa, where he put his head between his knees, which is effectively showing that he was at a point where intellect and the legs, which represent the most basic type of action, were completely equal in his experience. And he literally poured his heart out, that kind of approach is such a person acquires everything in a flash because you don't have to go through all the steps. As the, as the Zayar says, Tshuva is a momentary switch. It's an epiphany. Everything moves and changes immediately. These same themes about the distinction between Pesach Rishon and Sheni reflecting the approach of Tzadikim versus the approach of Balei Tshuva is also expressed in the fact that Pesach Rishon is in Nisan and Pesach Sheni in Iyar. Because Yaduah Achilik ben Chedesh Nisan, Achidosh Arishon and the Chedesh Iyar, Achidosh Hasheni, we well know the difference between the first month Nisan and the second month Iyar is that Nisan in Yonah Amshach Begilam Yomayla Nisan is all about what the Abisha pours into our world. Great revelation and miracles and kindness and goodness. And the unfortunate reality is that when you get this incredible input from on high, it's not guaranteed to transform and change in a meaningful, lasting way what happens down here below. It's just that in the intensity of the divine revelation, you have a temporary suspension of the negative. Which is very similar to the approach that a tzaddik takes. Where their entire connection to Hashem is all in the world of light and holiness. And anything that's negative, they just push it out of the way. They don't transform it, they don't deal with it, they don't tackle it, they just push it aside. Whereas ER is the exact opposite energy. It's the movement upwards from ground zero, reaching up towards Hashem. And that's the kind of thing that makes an impact that is a forever impact. It's a lasting impact. Where you actually transform and refine and elevate the lower reality so that it becomes a higher reality. That's why the mitzvah of counting Sfiris Oimer is mostly, primarily, during the month of Iyer. Because what do we do during Sfiris Oimer? We refine the, the natural human experience, all the different character traits of the person. Which is very similar to doing Teshuvah. Because Teshuvah takes the lowest of the low and lifts and elevates and transforms it. Until eventually you can even turn negative into positive. And here we're doing a similar thing. We're taking elements of character and transforming them so that they become from natural and possibly even negative to become positive and even holy. By the way, this is also it's quite similar to the distinction that we make between Nisan and Tishrei. When Nisan typically represents how you serve Hashem in the mode of the Tzadik and Tishrei, how you serve Hashem in the mode of the Baal Tshuva. So now, based on all of this, that now we know that Pesach Sheni is primarily the theme of doing Tshuva. That will help us to understand on a deeper level why there are three different opinions in the Gemara about what the status of Pesach Sheni is. They're all valid. They're all the word of Hashem. Why there are three views on how Pesach Sheni operates because there are three possibilities on how Teshuvah works. Aleph, the first is Takanta Di Tshuvah. Tshuvah is a means of correcting, rectifying something that was wrong. So as soon as a person does an Avera, straight away there's an opportunity to fix. Like we said before, as soon as a person misses the first opportunity to do the current Pesach, straight away there's an opportunity to do the current Pesach again at a later stage. 
And that is the classic experience of tshuva, which is available for a classic Avera. You did something wrong, and now there's a way to fix it. The minute the Avera occurs, straight away there's an opportunity to fix that Avera. How? Through tshuva. Entry-level, basic, simple tshuva. Then there's another level of tshuva base, tashlum into tshuva. Where teshuvah has to tackle something that actually went wrong and now it's got to be neutralized. The, the negative effects have to be neutralized. That's That's when a person has to now do teshuvah for an Avera, where the Avera was based on their thinking, don't worry, I'll do the Avera now and I'll do teshuvah later. They were told the person is not really given an opportunity to do teshuvah. At the time where the Avera happened, the Tshuva was not yet available. Like in the case of Tashlum and of Pesach, at the time the person didn't bring the current Pesach, there's a Chi of Kores. Later on, there's a Pesach Shani that might annul it. So, seeing as the reason the person did this Avera was because they leaned on, relied on the fact that they could do Tshuva. So the Tshuva is actually, in a sense, part of the Avera. It's not an available way to clear the Avera. Along the similar lines to what we say, that the prosecuting angel or member of a courtroom cannot suddenly become the defense attorney. But if the person says, I'm not willing to accept that, and I'm going to push really hard and do a meaningful, life-changing form of tshuva, it opens the doors. And then they do accept the tshuva. And then there's an even higher level regal bifnei Tshuva is a standalone service of Hashem that is not based necessarily on Averis. And that's in Tshuva Satsadikim. That's when a Tzadik does Tshuva. Because Tshuva is not as people mistakenly believe Al Chatoim Dafka only and exclusively limited to when a person does an Avera. It is a path to serve Hashem, an independent, self sustaining path to serve Hashem. Which is just as relevant to a person who's never done an Averu. As we well know, that Mashiach is going to come and get even Tzadikim to do Teshuvah. Now we know what is Pesach Sheni. Now we've kept saying that what is Pesach Sheni, the Friedrich Rebbe says, that there's nothing that can't be fixed, even a person who did what was wrong and is in an impure place by choice. In other words, it sounds like Pesach Sheni is the first level of Tshuva. Somebody did something wrong and now they have to fix it. The truth is, Pesach Sheni addresses all the different experiences of Tshuva. Even that Tshuva which is relevant to a Tzadik, which would be similar to Chodesh Tishrei, mentioned Kanal Sifches, we said that Pesach Sheni is similar to Tishrei. Right? Tishrei is the time of massive Tshuva, includes all the different layers of Tshuva, including the Tshuva of a tzaddik. So Pesach Sheni is the ultimate symbol of what Shiva is about, including that unique kind of Shiva which is reserved only for a tzaddik. Now that we know that Shiva has this incredible power, let's have a look at a, what appears to be an unusual halacha. Based on what we've spoken about, how Shiva has the ability to switch things around from the most negative to the most positive, that will help us to understand a halacha that we find, which is Shafil Rasha. Even somebody who is in a really bad spiritual state. That they're in such a bad state that they actually empower the negative elements of the world through their Torah learning and, and observance of mitzvahs. And nevertheless, such a person is still required to learn Torah even if they have the wrong intentions. Why? Says the Torah. Let's say the person right now is learning Torah with the wrong intentions. Subsequently, the person will do Teshuvah They'll then at that point be able to liberate out of this toxic and pure reality, the clippers, all of the Torah mitzvahs that they have done. In other words, the Torah is telling us, the Torah study that this person does while in this terrible spiritual state. We kind of rely on the fact that right now he's learning Torah, and in the future he will do Torah. That's the whole Chiddush of Tshuva, that it has this capacity to create an opportunity later on to correct what happened earlier. Like right from the start, from Pesach Rishon, you already have 
the possibility of a Pesach Sheni. Right from the beginning of this person learning Torah with the wrong intentions, there's already the opportunity to do Tshuva and fix it afterwards and elevate it afterwards. The Torah provides an opportunity right at the beginning, at the time of the transgression, the possibility and potential for Tshuva that will follow. Even though this that even while the person's in a terrible spiritual state, they have to learn Torah. That applies to everybody who, who, who does an Avera. Even the person who does the Echtev Ashev attitude, which is, I'm going to do wrong now in order to do Tshuva later, we say, okay, well, that person doesn't have the Takana, the capacity that right from the beginning there's already an opportunity to do Tshuva. But this doesn't have anything to do with the concept of elevating the learning, which means the learning that the person does is not affected by the fact that they may have inappropriate intentions or that they may be sinning in the way that they're learning. Even deeper than that, even in the very unusual circumstance, let's say that the person is learning Torah not only with the wrong intentions, but with malevolent intentions to manipulate the, the Torah for the sake of some toxic, clipper-based uh, outcome. And the person says, but it's fine, I'll do Tshuva later. Like right now I'll do something which is completely bad. We'll still tell that person they should be learning because we're absolutely convinced that there's a possibility and almost a guarantee that the person will do Tshuva afterwards. But there is a distinction between the two scenarios, the person who is a Russia now learning versus the person who is a, a Russia and learning with really bad intentions, because we said when there's when the person has the wrong attitude and kind of relies on the tshuva, we don't make it easy for the person to do tshuva. So let's look at the second scenario. So you've got a person over here who's not only learning Torah for the wrong reasons, but for really disgusting reasons, something which is completely abhorrent. And we're going to say that that person still has a path to Tshuva. Why? Because it's a guarantee that at the end a person will do Tshuva in this life or in another. Like the Pasuk says, Nobody will be completely pushed away. Whereas if you're dealing with a person who just does a regular Avera, not with this malevolent intention to, to actually drag the Torah through the mud. Then, then we don't have to quote the Pasuk and the whole philosophy which says nobody will be pushed away because the person was never pushed away. The person would distance themselves as the expression that we use with Pesach Sheni. Nothing more uh, serious than being distant. And therefore, so in a normal situation where a person normally does an Avera, for whatever reason it is that they, they were tempted to do an Avera, immediately at that very moment, the path for Teshuvah already becomes available to them. Along the lines of how Pesach Sheni works, according to Rabbi Nassan, that as soon, according to Rabbi Hananiah Barakabia, as soon as the opportunity for Pesach Rishon was lost, the opportunity for Pesach Sheni begins. We've already identified that Pesach Sheni speaks to the full spectrum of Tshuva, including the Tshuva which is reserved for Tzadikim, which is not fixing the, 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 that which was wrong, but rather is a form of, of service of Hashem. We could say a similar thing about the original Pesach, that the original Pesach, which is Avedus HaTzadikim, includes as Kol Eifane Avedus HaTzadikim, all the various approaches that a Tzadik may take, which includes that unique kind of Avedus Hashem, which is Tshuva, as relevant to a Tzadik, that is also encapsulated and incorporated within the Pesach experience. Even though we always say that the future redemption with Mashiach is going to happen in Nisan, which is representative of Tzadik like Avodah, nevertheless, it will have a link to Tshuva. As we already said before, Mashiach will bring out the Tshuva component of Tzadikim. So there's, there's this uh, harmony between the Tzadik and Baal Tshuva realities. 
In fact, if you go back to the original Yitzhak Mitzrayim on Pesach, in addition to the fact that as we've identified they were in this beautiful, pristine state of a newborn person, like a ger, yet they were told they have to pull their hands away and, and desist from idolatry. They had to literally pull themselves away for doing, from doing idolatry. Just obviously a teshuva-like process. Obviously it implies even though they had a breast before leaving. And therefore they were at the beginning of a conversion process. Not only that. Anybody who was told that they had to take the carbon Pesach, which is the Kuhu part of the phrase, was also told Mishru, which the Gemara is telling us is that they should, uh, you know, uh, pull their hands away from Avodah Zorah. Right? There's a conjunction between the two. And that implies Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking not only to those Jews who were enmeshed in Avodah Zorah, but even those who had absolutely nothing to do with Avodah Zorah. And he still says Mishru. Because there were certain people who had to do tshuva, but it's not the tshuva for an avera. Their format of tshuva is like the avodas tshuva, which is unique to a tzaddik. Because they live in a reality that includes the possibility of avodah And you have to be told to avoid the avodah So therefore there is the possibility of tshuva even if you've never done an avera. Because tshuva of course means deepening and, and, and um, improving the relationship that a person has to Hashem. So, with all the information that we now have, Pesach Rishon representing Avodah Satzadik and Pesach Sheni representing Avodah Zabalit Shuvah, the difference between the two, Pesach Rishon is that Tzadikim is within the, the realm of Hishtalshlus, Balit Shuvah breakthrough Hishtalshlus, and yet there's an overlap because there's Shuvah for Tzadikim as well. Now we can understand our time, Shemona Rambam as Pesach Sheni ki mitzvah bifnei atzma, while the Rambam listed Pesach Sheni as a separate mitzvah to Pesach Rishon, after me, Shehikri Pesach Rishon, and Yochel Hakriv Pesach Sheni. Despite the fact that, as we said before, a person who's brought the Pesach Rishon cannot bring the Pesach Sheni, which implies that it's not really a separate, a separate mitzvah. Because the Rambam wants to illustrate to us that the Havoida that is represented by Pesach versus the Havoida that is represented by Pesach Sheni are actually two completely different Havoidas. Yes, as we've said, if a person brings the Korban Pesach first time around when they were supposed to, they are obviously exempt from the Pesach Sheni. Because we've already identified that the concept of Tshuva can actually happen in the original Korban Pesach because Pesach Rishon has the Tshuva in the world of a Tzaddik. Which means whatever Pesach Sheni would achieve in its own independent right as the big Yom Tov of Tshuva, you can actually already accomplish on Pesach Rishon. So if you did it on Pesach Rishon, you don't have to bring a Pesach Sheni. But the reality is that, yes, it's true, Pesach Rishon has a tshuva element to it. However, but what kind of tshuva is available in Pesach Rishon? The tshuva avoider of the tzaddik who never got their hands dirty in the first place. And so therefore, the kind of tshuva that is experienced in the first Pesach is not as great and potent as the tshuva which is experienced in Pesach Sheni. Because tshuva, the tshuva of Pesach Sheni is already identified, is tackling something that went wrong, which represents an Havera. Takanta, vitashlumin, whichever way you happen to look at it, whether you see it as a tikkun, whether you see it as a tashlumin, the two opinions. And of course, because as we said, Pesach Sheni includes all the experiences of tshuva, it also includes the tshuva of a tzaddik. But it, it's, its main focus is not the tshuva of a tzaddik, its main focus is the tshuva of the Baal tshuva. And there are two great advantages to that. What creates this intense thirst of the Baal Tshuva? explains because what creates the thirst is the fact that you're in the desert, the fact that a person's in a spiritually desolate space in their lives. That's what motivates them to have this incredible yearning for Kedusha. That the Balchiva has a fichel simonu be yeser oz measher betzadikim, sheetzam in zeshaich. That's why the thirst and yearning that the Balchiva has is exponentially beyond that which a tzadik has, because the tzadik's never been in the desolation. 
Second of all, base tshuva al chet magaset l'mayim mishtalshul says we've already identified when a person does tshuva, they reach a reality that is completely beyond the entire spiritual structure. So powerful that it can transform the negative into the positive. Whereas when a tzaddik does tshuva, as powerful and meaningful, uplifting it as, as it may be, it's not capable of transforming the negative, the dark, the impure, into something which is healthy. That's why, as we mentioned before, Pesach Sheni is a single day, whereas the original Pesach is a seven-day holiday. Because even though it is incorporated in the Pesach experience, the ability for Tshuva, as we said before, it's the Tzadik-based Tshuva, which is according to a rational, uh, orderly, progressive experience. Because even when a tzaddik serves Hashem with the ultimate dedication, that is also, so, so to speak, regulated and defined. Look at this as an example. We quoted it before. Rabbi cries, gets into Shamayim like this. And what happens? Rebbe cries over it. And the fact that Rebbe cries implies that something is occurring that is completely beyond what can be contained and explained and rationalized. So, still on his Rebbe did not have Rebbe Elozben to die his experience after that. He did not have the experience of transforming his whole life in a moment. He still had his regular, consistent, progressive avoider for the rest of his life. But when you come specifically to Pesach Sheni, which is Chuval Chet, trying to fix something that was wrong. To turn those rebellions against Hashem into merits. emphasizes that even when a person chose to rebel, Pesach Sheni still offers them a way home. That reaches a point that is so great that it can't be split into components. So it's one day. It's a singular message. It's a singular message. Um, energy. That's like Pesach Sheni is like Rabbi Lozaman Dodaya, who had the power through his tshuva, which is tshuva al chet, repenting for having done something which was seriously wrong. Had the impact of transforming everything and acquiring his position in the next world, literally in a moment. Please God, we should all acquire our position in the Gula Mitzvah Shlema in one moment. La'alte de tshuva, la'alte de gula.